0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network. My name is Anes Womboye, and I'm glad you've joined me today as we continue our series on process. Now, we've been going through a series where we've been talking about how God processes his people, how God takes us through sanctification how god cleans his people how god weeds out characteristics in his people that he's not pleased with and how he makes them more into the image of his son jesus christ and we've also seen that when god is achieving something through us he takes us through a process That God does not just drop his blessings on our laps. We need to be mature enough to partake of those blessings. That God is desirous of every born-again Christian, everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and does follow him, to be ready to receive that which God has brought their way. And we've looked at a a number of characters. We looked at David and we saw that David was anointed to be king when he was perhaps merely a teenager. But he was not ready for the crown. You know, I once had someone say that at times you could drop the crown on the head of the king and crown him. Or you could hold it up and have the king grow into it. And God's method is merely is actually the latter and not the former. That God does not just drop the crown on our heads. Rather, he holds the crown steady and the king ought to grow up into the crown. All right. And so God is taking us through processes in order for us to be mature. He did that with David. inasmuch as David was anointed by Samuel, the prophet in front of his brothers, and he was shown to be the anointed one of Israel. David had to wait a considerable amount of time before he inherited that throne. He had to wait for 14 years. What was going on during those 14 years? David was being processed. David was learning what it means to honor those in authority. He had opportunities to kill the king, but he said, no, I will not touch the anointed of the Lord. He was going through a process. He had to hide his family in the wilderness. He was going through difficulty. And we realized that all these processes were necessary. Why? So that David could eventually be a good king. And indeed, you did see that David's process made him to be the greatest king that Israel had. If you read the rest of the stories of the kings, the Lord keeps saying in the scriptures, but he did not follow the Lord like his father David. Or it it likens the king who did what is right to David. It says like, but he followed the Lord like his father David. And so David became a prime example of righteousness because he went through the process. David was not the only one. We also have Joseph and we looked at how Joseph went through the process. Joseph had a dream, but despite having that great dream, he was not ready for it. God was not just gonna drop the crown of Pharaoh's deputy onto his head. Again, God held the crown steady and Joseph had to grow up into it. And the growth is not just merely physical. It's not just getting older. It's a growth of the soul, a maturity of the mind, a maturity of the will, a maturity of the emotions, a spiritual maturity that required Joseph to humble himself for Joseph to learn discipline And we looked at Psalm 105 verse 19 that says in the New Living Translation, until the time came to test Joseph's character, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. What was the Lord? The Lord was processing him. And so that is what it feels like to be in the Christian journey, that God does not just drop blessings on us. God does not just throw things away. In fact, many people think that's the end game of Christianity, to just get blessings, to have a transactional relationship with God, where I jump and he throws me a candy. I jump and he throws me a sweet. No, God wants relationship, and relationship requires process. Relationship requires us to understand that the things that God is giving us, the blessings, way bigger than them and when we are mature we understand that we understand that the blesser is more important than the blessing that god himself the giver is more important than the gift and joseph went through that process and once we understand that process like joseph and like david we can go through pain and have the right perspective we can have a healthy theology of pain because we can know that hey the process is necessary The process does not mean God hates me. The process does not speak harshly of God. The process is necessary. And so today we want to talk about discipline in the midst of the process because we need to really have a discipline attitude or rather uh, we need to have skills of discipline. Perhaps that's the better word to use. Skills of discipline if we really want to survive the process. This discipline is necessary because um, it will help us not give up and it will help us not suffer delay, unnecessary delay in the things that God is doing in our lives. Perhaps some of you, God God has planned for some of you to start ministries, to start businesses, to go to places to influence the kingdom of God, to influence the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of God. The light of God needs to shine in some places but there's some delay or there's some stagnation because the process is difficult you realize the humbling is difficult the unlearning is difficult the going through the, the 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 ups and the valleys is difficult what is the answer well the answer is discipline because discipline helps us to navigate through the process discipline is the oil that facilitates the process now what is discipline like I'm going to read for us a scripture from the book of Proverbs 29, verse 18. And this is what the scripture says. This is what the Lord says. The Lord says, I'm reading from the NIV, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. There's another version that says in this same Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds the law. Where there's no vision, where there's no revelation. Now, the, 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 there's a word here that says, there's a phrase here that says, cast off restraint. What is to cast off restraint? To cast off restraint is to give up. To cast off restraint is to refuse holding on to the right thing you need to do. To cast off restraint is to say, you know what, I've held on for too long. I don't care anymore. I just give up. I give in. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I don't care about the process. I don't care that it's taken me this long. I don't care. I'm gonna just give up. And the Bible tells us there's a reason why people give up. There's a reason why people cast off restraint. There's a reason why people lose self-control. The Bible says the reason is there is no revelation, there is no vision. The reason why there's a reason why God has promised you this particular marriage that is full of blessings, that is going to be used for his glory as far as ministering to the lost. And and you're waiting, or perhaps you're even engaged. And one of the requirements for God to use you is that you need to live a pure life. You need to live in absolute sexual purity. But you get to a place where the temptation is too high and you cast off restraint and you say, oh, who cares? We're going to get married anyway. Why has that happened? There's no revelation. There's no vision. There's nothing that is motivating you to remember the end game of the process. And that is what vision is. Vision is the end game of the process. Revelation is the end game of the process. Now, we have a perfect example of, 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 of God Himself having vision and not casting off restraint. And that, and that is through His Son Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross. That is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. It says, For the joy set before Him, christ endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat at the right hand of the father hebrews 12 verse 2. think about that that jesus needed to go through a very painful process in order for him to be the savior of the world and have the name that is above every other name in order for him to hold the dominion the status that required him to rescue us through his blood there has to be there had to be a painful process now it's very easy to cast off restraint very easy to give up and say you know what i don't want to do that anymore but jesus the bible tells us he did not do it he did not cast off restraint he did not give up why did he give up hebrews 12 verse 2 for the joy set before him he endured the cross there was a revelation there was a vision that was set before jesus christ and that revelation and that vision endured him to allowed him to endure the process guys What was the vision that was set before Christ? What was the revelation that was set before Christ? What was the end game of the process? What was the end game of the painful torture and crucifixion that was about to receive? The end game was you. You are the vision of Christ. His bride. Christ was seeing his love. Christ was seeing the love of his life, you. Christ was seeing your redemption. Christ was seeing you snatched from the fires of hell. He was seeing you taken into the kingdom of God. He was seeing you wrapped in glorious light if only he went through the cross. Christ was seeing nations saved. Christ was seeing spiritual warfare in favor of the kingdom of heaven. Christ was seeing babies protected from the painful arms of death. Christ was seeing children brought in the ways of the Lord and having set foundations that will raise them in Christ likeness. Christ was seeing adults turning away from the works of darkness and turning towards the light. Christ was seeing all this and Christ was seeing their souls redeemed by his blood and turned away from sin and having these people brought into him. Guys, that was the joy set before him. You were the joy set before him. And Christ said, if that is what it will take, to get that end game, I'm gonna do it. If getting the soul of my beloved into the kingdom of into the kingdom of heaven will mean me going through the cross, hey, it's painful. I will go through the cross, and that's why he said at a point, Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And so Christ had a disciplined mindset. And that discipline mindset enabled him to go forward. So what is this first thing? What is this first thing that we need in the discipline mindset? The first thing is a compelling vision. Christ had that compelling vision. Christ had a compelling vision that enabled him to see the end game of the process. What is your compelling vision? What is Christ doing in your life? What is Christ doing in your marriage? What is Christ doing in your personal work with him? Guys, I'll tell you this. The best compelling vision any born-again believer can have is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I find like this should be the uber vision. This should be the grand vision, the macro vision of every born-again believer to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, to be like him. In speech, in faith, in love, in conduct, in purity, that Jesus Christ is the standard that we aim for. Christ desires that from us that we be like him. Are we like him? Do we find ourselves being like the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the process, or do we find ourselves being unlike him? Are the characteristics of Jesus Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, on the increase as we're going through the processes of life, or are they on the decrease? I I ask you this, that if if, if, if if it is on the decrease, then perhaps you do not have a compelling vision. The macro compelling vision should be like the, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there should be the, some micro vision. The micro, the micro is a small one. What is a micro vision? The micro vision would have something to do with your finances. But whatever it is, let it be for the glory of God. It could be your marriage. Whatever it is, let it be for the glory of God. It could be your children, your parenting. Whatever it is, let it be to the glory of God. It could be your education. Whatever it is, let it be to the glory of God. Now let me tell you something about a compelling vision. Our world is filled with humanism. Visions that have us at the center. Visions that have us at the center of attraction. Guys, if you place yourself at the center of your vision, you'll collapse. You need a vision that is beyond you. You need a vision that is not centered around you. What do I mean by that? Maybe saying, honest, when I say I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't is am, am I not the center of the vision? No, actually, you're not. Christ is. Because you're looking at Christ. Many a times, we've got our own selfish motives at the center of our vision. We say, hey, you know what? I want to retire rich. I want to retire by 35. That, that's a very self-centered vision. And many a times, Christ opposes a kind of vision that kicks him out and puts ourselves at the center. Many times, some of those visions are fueled by, 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 by sin. You may not see it on the often, but many times they're fueled by respectable sins. For example, that kind of vision that I mentioned about retiring by the age of 35 and having all the money in the world, that, that, that kind of vision is fueled by the love of money, mammon. Have a vision that is Christ-centered, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Seek the Lord more than his things. Seek the Lord more than his gifts. Don't let the temporary blessings of this world be the compelling vision for your life. Don't let it just be, hey, I want to get married. Why is that everybody can say I can get, uh, I've gotten married? I've finally waited for so long. I deserve this. No, you do not. How can your vision even of getting married be Christ-centered? How can your vision be compelling? Hey, um, Lord, I really desire to get married. How can my marriage glorify you? When the Lord does that, he'll begins to, when you, when you make that prayer to the Lord, he'll begin to kill a few things. <laughs> he'll begin to f- kill a few ideas, ideologies, thoughts, philosophies that are born in sin and are born in humanism. He'll begin to kill them and say, oh, yes, you want to have a godly marriage, right? Okay, now I'll tell you this. If you want a godly marriage, you need to understand that the point of marriage is not to post pictures on Instagram every day and try and prove to everyone you're happy. No, the point of this marriage is to glorify me. To glorify me and you can glorify me by hey leading others to Christ by using your marriage as an example of fruitfulness by being in that Bible study by hey helping younger women helping younger men now the compelling vision of Christ is not always exciting to the flesh in fact the compelling vision of Christ is often ah uh, is, is often dowsing to the flesh to, to be honest. <laughs> The flesh doesn't like it. The flesh goes like, oh, man. You see, the flesh has got this tendency to be seen, to be recognized. The flesh has got this tendency to be lifted up. The flesh has got this tendency to be exalted above Christ. The flesh has got this tendency that was in Satan. If you read the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, when Satan fell from heaven, he said to himself, I will ascend to the heights of the heavens. I will be like the most high. The flesh has got a tendency to want itself glorified. And when the flesh is not glorified, anger, frustration, and offense are just some of the key fruits of the the flesh that come forth very, very powerfully. Let your compelling vision be Christ-like. Let your compelling vision be centered around what God desires for you that will eventually lead to his glory and not necessarily to your glory. This is the discipline that you need in the midst of the process. Have a compelling vision. I'll tell you what you may need to do practically. It may mean you write it down. It may mean you write it on a placard, stick it on your wall, and read it every day. You need it. Do you have a compelling vision for the process that God is taking you through? Do you have it? Is it clear? So the second thing that you need um, is a clear goal. What is the goal that you need? All right? So I'm going to read for you a scripture. And this is what the scripture says. It's from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Um, let me find it. Lamentations, chapter 3, from verse 27, thereabouts. Actually, 25, 25 to 27. Lamentations 3, 25 to 27 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, it is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Right? The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. So look at what the right of lamentations, that was Jeremiah, I believe, says. He says it is good to the, it is good. The Lord is good. Sorry, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. So this is someone who's going through a process. They're waiting on the Lord. And then it says it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So the person is going through a process and they need to be still. They need to be wait. They need, they need to wait. And it says it is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Now, what is a yoke? A yoke is that bar that is placed across your neck if you're an animal. <laughs> when you're an animal, you know, the, 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 the yoke is placed are, 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 um, across your neck and it's tied to another animal and you do the tremendous difficult task of plowing the land or pulling a very heavy weight and it's not a very exciting task for an animal it's hard work but the animal is built for it now the lord is saying you two have a yoke and this yoke is given to you when you're young and he says it is good for you to bear that yoke now does it feel good to have that yoke around your neck absolutely not Absolutely not. Yokes are heavy. Yokes have splinters. Yokes are, they're not comfortable. But the Lord is saying there's a yoke that is given to us human beings while we are young, and it is good for us to bear it as we wait patiently on the Lord. As we go through the process, there's a weight, there's a burden we ought to bear. There's a discipline that we need to endure. And we said, first, we need a compelling vision for it. But secondly, you need a clear goal you need to ask yourself why am i carrying this yoke why am i carrying this yoke what is my why what is the goal for this what is the goal and the goal can be short term or mid term. now it could also be long term but the reason i'm avoiding long-term goals is because many times the long-term goals are often within god's plan but at times for some of us the long-term goal has been revealed for people like Samson, the long-term goal was revealed. The long-term goal is for you to deliver Israel from the Philistines. That's the long-term goal. Perhaps for people like David, he thought he knew the long-term goal. He thought, oh, the long-term goal is for me to be king. I don't think he even knew that there was a bigger long-term goal. The long-term goal was for him to write scripture, to write psalms, to write hymns, to bring out scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit and write prophecies about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, to prepare himself to be the, the, the lion of the, the, not the lion of the tribe of Judah, but rather um, the, the son of David, Jesus Christ to be called after him. That was a long term goal, and I, I don't know if David knew it. So let's talk about the short term and the mid term goal. What was David's short term goal? The short term goal for David was hey, I need to survive. I need to run away from King Saul. I need to survive. I need to ensure that I don't lose my life. And those are short term goals. And because he had that short-term goal, he was able to bear the yoke of difficulty. What yoke did he have to bear in his youth? He had to learn war. He had to learn how to use a sword. He had to learn how to fight. Why? Because the short-term goal depended on it. He needed to learn what it means to survive when an army comes after him. He needed to learn how to be stealthy. He needed to learn warfare. He says in Psalm 144 verse 1, the Lord trains my fingers for war. He needed to learn that. The short-term goal enabled him to bear the necessary yoke. If David had no need for survival, he would have no need for training. If David had no need to flee for his life, he would have no need to learn warfare. But the warfare necessitated the, the discipline of learning the sword. And so the goal motivated the discipline. What is your short-term goal? What is God doing for you right now? Another short-term goal for David was to protect his family, which he did, and got them out to a place of safety. And then there was a mid-term goal. Mid-term goal was to ensure that he inherits the throne in an honorable way. And so what did that mean? That means that David had to inspire his men to be like Christ. David gathered around him about 400 men, I think it was 400, who were called disillusioned, indebted, and distressed. Men who were basically regarded as the worthless people of society. And yet they gathered around David, and David had a midterm goal. These guys are going to be close to me when I ascend to the throne. And so David had to teach them how to be like the Lord. Whenever David was faced with a difficult situation, he consulted the Lord. The people saw him consulting the Lord. Whenever, people, whenever the people wanted to make a decision, they turned to David. They were willing to lay down their lives for David. Some of them even risked their lives for the sake of David. David maintained his discipline in order to refine these people. David again, um, in a situation where the wives and the children of these people were kidnapped together with his own wives, Uh, they wanted to stone him. David maintained calmness and David consulted the Lord. The midterm goal was to refine these people who are going to help him inherit the throne. It would be a disaster for David to inherit the throne and have a team of vagabonds around him. And we know these people did not become vagabonds because eventually... The Bible tells us about them, and they are no longer called the men who are distressed, indebted, and disillusioned. They are called the mighty men of David. The midterm goal is to inherit the throne with honor. What is your midterm goal? Whatever midterm goal it is, you're going to need discipline. And that discipline will require you to know how to handle these men, that you may transform them from men of distress to men of valor. All right. Think about Joseph. What was Joseph's short-term goal? Joseph's short-term goal was, whoa, um, I need to survive Egypt. I've been sold into a foreign land. I need to get my way through here. So cooperate. Don't cause problems. Don't, uh, don't fall into the wrong hands of the authority. And that means Joseph had to develop civility. Because if he was not civil, Joseph would have ended up in prison. If Joseph was not civil, if he fought the Ishmaelites and fought the Egyptians, they would have killed him because the worth of a slave in those days was very, very low. And so Joseph knew, this is the yoke I need to bear. I am young. This is the yoke I need to bear. I need to cooperate. It may not be, I may not like it. There's nothing exciting about yokes. There's nothing exciting about being sold to Egypt. But my goal is clear. My clear goal is that I need to survive Egypt. And for that to happen, I need to cooperate. And cooperate he did. And that cooperation eventually led him to get a job. Now, when he got the job, he had a midterm goal. What was the midterm goal? The midterm goal was to work for his master and do his very best. And so Joseph perhaps had to learn the language of the people. Joseph had to learn how Egyptian culture operates. How do the Egyptians work? How do the Egyptians speak? How do the Egyptians carry this? What time do the Egyptians go for their siesta? How do the Egyptians, he had to learn that. Now that was difficult because it meant living a very different life from his Hebrew culture. He did not hold on to his culture and say, you know what, where I come from, we do things like this. No, he said, you know what? Hey, it doesn't matter where I came from. I am here right now. And because I'm here, I'm going to do the right thing right now. There's a midterm goal. I need to please my commanding officer. I need to please Potiphar. He's my boss. I need to please him. And because of that, I'm going to be at the yoke of unlearning my language. Not unlearning my language really, but learning a new language. Unlearning certain cultural practices I've had. and learning new cultural practices. He had to do it. He had to do it. And so Joseph's midterm goal was very, very clear. Joseph's midterm goal was so clear, he said, I'm here to work. And that goal enabled him to say no to Potiphar's wife and says, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. And you see, in the background of the short-term goal and the midterm goal for both Joseph and David is the ultimate macro vision to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. David did not want to dishonor the Lord his God. Joseph did not want to dishonor the Lord his God. Do you have a clear goal? Perhaps some of you are blessed enough to have a long-term goal. Praise God for that. But if you don't have a long-term goal, it's all right. Leave it in God's hands. But meanwhile, do you have a clear goal? Discipline in the midst of the process. These are the things that will require you to go through the pain that comes with the process and to come out as gold. The Lord refines his people. The Lord makes us more into the image of his son. May we turn out exactly like that. And let's pray. Father, in the name of your Son Jesus Christ, how I ask that you strengthen us by giving us a compelling vision. For we have seen in your word where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. But if there's anyone who feels like giving up and feels like casting off restraint, oh Lord, would you convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment and help them, Abba Father, turn to you? Would you convict them, Abba Father, and let them also know that you love them, that your compassion for them is great? And that you too, Father, both through the pain, through your son Jesus Christ, you bore the pain and the suffering of humanity in order to bring salvation to those whom you loved. Father, give us a clear goal. Jesus Christ too had a clear goal. Jesus Christ knew he had to train the disciples. Jesus knew he had to uh, teach the disciples. And Jesus also had a long-term goal. He had to die on a cross. And Jesus was compelled and Jesus bore the yoke, the difficulty, and he was convinced, after I finish my vision, after I finish my task, I will arise from the dead. And he said to the people, destroy this body, and in three days, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up, speaking about his body. And Father, because his goal was so sure and so sustained, he was able to maintain discipline and go through the process. I ask for that grace that we may maintain discipline we may not cast off restraint we may wait on you quietly and we may bear the yoke in our youth we pray all this believing and trusting in the name of jesus christ amen amen and ladies and gentlemen for more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you please head over to www.edify.app that is edify.app or you could search for the edify app in the app store or the google play store thank you very much and we'll see you next time